everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ladies Let's Talk About Sex. I'm Felicia, your host, and I'm a lady talking about sex. This week, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Jennifer. Jennifer, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, Jenny here. Excited to be here and ready to talk about something really exciting. Amazing. And do you want to give uh, our listeners kind of a better understanding of who you are, what you do, kind of your relationship with sex and how that kind of ties into your work? Yeah, sure thing. So I realized my interest in sexuality and sexual health really early on in college, which was great. Um, That allowed me to get my degree in psychology and sexuality and gender studies. And then um, I actually went on to get my master's in health and risk communication. And that was a program that focused more on community health and health messaging and the best ways that we can inform folks about the decisions that they make uh, that affect their individual health. And then I just recently completed my certificate in sexuality education, which is awesome. So excited about that. And I'm hoping I can move from uh, the nonprofit sector, um, which is what the bulk of my work has been in. I've done a lot of HIV prevention and community outreach which I love, um, but I'm excited to take the next step and hopefully start working more on um, more of a personal focus. I've started um, an Instagram account, Sex Positive Sex Ed, that's only going up from here. And I really want to tailor the way that we talk about uh, sex education and especially HIV with more sex positive lesson plans and hopefully turn that into you know, some more in-person trainings and just a bigger community around that. That's incredible. And congratulations on your certificate. That's, that's so great. I'm so happy for you. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so maybe do you want to go into more detail about why you found that sex education was so important to you and kind of how you pursued that? Yeah, absolutely. So I was really fascinated by all things sexuality when I picked up my minor in college because it was uncharted territory for me at that point. I'd had, you know, the basic 20-minute conversation with my mom, and then I think, oh my gosh, a few days of sex ed in fifth, seventh, and ninth grade, and that was it. So when I started to take these classes, I realized um, that there was such important information that we're just not talking about. I actually think I found my passion when I gave a speech about comprehensive sex ed uh, beginning of freshman year. And just having that feeling that because I was talking about this, I was getting people's minds turning and maybe changing the way that they're thinking about uh, these things that aren't traditionally, uh, you know, an open topic. So that's when I got really excited about doing this for the rest of my life. And then when I started working in HIV HIV prevention after grad school, I started to see more in real life doing community outreach, doing HIV testing, and making connections with so many different people, I was hearing so many stories about the lack of education and misinformation, these widely accepted myths, you know, the effect of stigma, and things that were not only affecting, you know, public health outcomes, but people's quality of life. And I realized that what we're doing, especially here in the U.S., just is not enough. No, for sure. And I definitely think that that's not just a an American issue, I think it's a global issue because sex education kind of streams into kind of how we live our lives. And even, you know, when you talk about women's rights and um, a woman's right to marry and like the decisions she makes, you know, beyond her teen years, I think that it's something that is a global issue and something we need to really um, 
reevaluate how we teach our kids. So today you decided or we decided to discuss masturbation and education and kind of the benefits of that. Um, so I wanted to ask you, do you think it's vital for boys and girls to learn uh, masturbation within their sex education? I have to say yes to this. And we have two interesting points to consider. One is that the majority of folks' sex education comes from outside of the home, meaning that they're not having these conversations growing up, or if they are, you know, the mass, you know, the, the messages that we get are oftentimes overshadow that, you know, it's everywhere. And it's also widely reported that folks, especially women, begin hooking up and having sex before they ever even masturbate. Some never do. And I don't think that res the responsibility of being the only point of, dis of discussion of sexuality should rely on us as educators, but there are few and far between opportunities. And something that is so tricky about this line of work is balancing that tightrope where, um, you know, sex ed, school-based sex ed might be one of the few chances that we have to discuss healthy sexuality, but we really have to be careful not to step uh, overstep boundaries, even when they seem arbitrary to someone who knows the research, because, you know, in a school setting, in the community, a church-based setting, you really have to choose your battles because your students would be even worse off should you, you know, piss off the wrong parent or administrator, which happens all the time. And that contributes to why masturbation is a blurry area. It makes people uncomfortable. And unfortunately, being pleasure inclusive comes with risks like that. No, for sure. And I think that's super important to recognize, too, because as much as I would love to go and have these conversations, it, it does become problematic when you are dealing with, you know, problematic parents or, you know, religion then becomes involved. And I think it is important that we have to choose our battles in that sense. So do you, you always have an audience that's like always be mindful <laughs> of who's out there. There's always someone looking to tear you down. I mean, I always like to consider Dr. Jocelyn Elders, uh, you know, the fierce advocate for sex education and the first black surgeon general in the United States. She rules. She was asked for, you know, she was promptly called for resignation when she brought up the topic of masturbation. And honestly, looking at the, the way it was framed, she didn't bring it up. She was asked the question, should or would teaching masturbation to children uh, reduce unsafe sex? And she replied, yes, you know, it's part of human sexuality, but we're not even teaching the basics. And that enough was enough to, you know, wipe out or at least try to, you know, she went on to still do amazing work. But something so simple as that people are Aunt X done, can't talk about it, you're out. And that's just that's awful. No, it's 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 so unfortunate. Um especially like around sex and it's it, it makes me laugh sometimes because everyone has sex like we wouldn't be here if we didn't have sex right <laughs> exactly but talking about it for some reason yeah. really you know gets certain people very frustrated and I feel like it it has a lot to do with control and keeping people oh, in their absolutely. place and and um kind of stunting so different people and their sexuality. But I wanted to ask, have you seen any like either elementary or high school sex education programs where masturbation is discussed? So there is starting to be, uh, or at least we're starting to see more of a push for that. Um, again, I, I live in the US, um, so my view is a little bit skewed, um, but that's definitely in places where we have a little bit more um, of progressive, uh, you know, ideals and the people that are making these decisions. 
But in general, we learn so very little about our bodies in general, like let alone the, the pleasurable part, pleasurable parts. Um, you know, the last time I had public school sex ed was over 13 years ago, but that fear mongering is 100% still there. You know, sex is taught through a very negative lens. We focus on consequences of sex rather than the, the facts, not even just the, you know, the really great parts. And that complicates how we think about sexuality. You know, I had the classic STIs, unplanned pregnancy focus, the, the chewed gum and the de-petaled flower analogies. And those stood out way more than anything about anatomy or my safety. But I will say there are a lot of people that are advocating and doing a really great job to push for maybe not so much an explicit discussion of masturbation in the classroom, but to include the parts of our bodies that are pleasurable. You know, we need we need access to that education in general to learn about the clitoris and the vulva and we see penises and learn about ejaculation. But just the first step in talking about masturbation is being allowed to, as educators, talk to our students about their parts, naming them correctly, what they're there for, and even starting the conversation really young about you may start to explore and have feelings and that's okay. We just need to um, let people know that that's normal and then guide them in how that's going to shape future conversations around our consent and bodily autonomy and communication about masturbation and then eventually sex as well. No, it's so important. And I also think that like adding critical thinking to all of the things that we learn in our sex education and like giving more dimension to, okay, I can, you know, name all these things on a penis or a, a vulva, but like, do I know what they do? Do I know their purpose? Even just talking about, you know, the vulva and how it's like a self-cleaning orga uh, organism is something I never discussed in my sex education, which I feel like is something that we should, we should have told young girls, you know, like, you'd think that we would know that our bodies can kind of clean itself, but no, you're like, you're 13 and you're like, does my vagina smell weird? Like, I don't know if it's supposed to smell a certain way or if it's supposed to right. clean itself. But I think I I'm actually really interested to learn a little bit more about why masturbation has become so taboo. I know Sigmund Freud kind of really put his, put his mark on uh, female masturbation. Yep. But do you know a little bit more about why masturbation in general has become a, such a taboo? Yeah. So not only is sex itself stigmatized and it's hush hush, you know, but for centuries, it's associated with these stupid words. It's dirty. It's sinful. You know, certain religions absolutely forbid masturbation. And that causes a lot of guilt for things that aren't even in our control, like our arousal or just our thoughts or our questions. You know, like you said, Freud referred to masturbation as a disease. We have essentially millennia looking back as far as we can that we have documentation and there's documentation and there's always a man making masturbation not to be bad immoral a healthy any of the any of the above and then there's you know the widely popular story behind kellogg's cornflakes which though not entirely true it's made its way into lore because a very real dr kellogg was a major proponent of masturbation and touting it as disastrous and worse than polio and disease and just these things don't just go away. We still think about them today in 2020. And we have sex education and we have people, you know, finally getting out and talking about these things. And it's, it's a little bit more normal. There's a little bit more freedom, but that still stays in the back of our mind. And it's still ingrained in so many things in our society that it's a really uphill fight. 
and we're still going to fight it, but that's not, you know, we can't make those things that are hard grained into our brains and our culture just go away. No, for sure. I definitely think that that's something to recognize. And I'm actually kind of curious because I know that, you know, as much as I love men and they do some good things, (laughs) also, you know, they have, because of the way our society was built and the way, you know, you know, how women kind of have come to finding their own rights and becoming doctors, that's been a, a harder stretch for us. So it's, it has been men making these decisions and these claims and uh, kind of these notions surrounding masturbation. Why do you think men have been, you know, as we kind of evolve, they've been more encouraged to masturbate as, you know, society progresses, but women are still, are still not encouraged to? Yeah. So sex in general is presented and how it's discussed and the language that we use as a penetrative act, someone doing and someone receiving. Um, I think about my own sex ed experience. And like I said, I learned about erections and ejaculation and wet dreams. Like I remember learning that in fifth grade, Um, but it's (laughs) periods and like being pure and how scary it is to have a child for women, like there's no mention of, like I said, we don't know what the clitoris is. You know, the reproductive organs are things we can't see unless, like I said, you're talking about a penis. It's just one, you make a really great point that throughout history, it's men that are in these positions to write these textbooks and put these things out into law and what we believe is accurate and is the truth when they have really no idea. I actually saw, uh, a tweet the other day um, and it was someone talking about a male colleague uh, saying that he doesn't believe um, IUD insertion is painful. He says they can't be painful because I've never had a patient come back and tell me. And there's a collective eye roll, you know, oh, because, because you have, you have a uterus, sir. Do you have any idea? That just means that you haven't done a great job of allowing for that communication. So yeah, everything is, I hate to be that person, but we are in such a like male centered society. Like that's just the truth of history, whether it's changing or not, that's what we are built on. And it's just not talked about as something normal and something that should, let alone the the normalcy and the things like our anatomy and basic health information, learning about the pH of our vulvas and cleaning, but talk about orgasms and pleasure and things like you know it's just man like I said it's an uphill battle no it definitely it definitely is frustrating and as I as I'm doing these podcasts I I don't want to become kind of a man hater uh because men are great and they're super great allies and you know, they definitely get taken a lot more seriously in our society than we do. So we de- we could use their help for sure in this element. Um, and there have been incredible doctors who are advocates for women's sexual health and, you know, making room for women at the table and, and creating a space where, you know, they're not going to tell you like that tweet you saw, like, oh, an IUD is like not painful. It's like, they're going to say like, you know what, I've never experienced that pain, but I'm sure my colleague could tell me something else, you know. But I definitely think it's important to recognize and it's, it definitely makes things a lot more frustrating for us. But I'm excited that we're having this conversation and, you know, continuing to kind of release these taboos and start, um, 
start encouraging not only women but men to talk about women's health and men's health. Right. We but, get everybody um, on board. I, I definitely agree with that. But I wanted to know maybe because we there's a lot of health benefits to masturbation, but nobody seems to talk about them. So I was curious as to why why is it good to masturbate and um Maybe we can talk about the safety of masturbation versus, you know, partnered sex. Sure. Yeah. So masturbation is an excellent way to learn about ourselves. It allows for exploring the things that we like and we do not like, you know, our fantasies, how our unique bodies work, both alone and partnered. And one of my favorite parts is the empowerment and owning that right to prioritize pleasure. And a lot of people never get that message. A lot of women never hear that message add-on health benefits are like you know stress relief and pain relief restful sleep the feel-good endorphins it's a great pelvic floor workout great for menstrual cramps and it's never a bad idea to just in general be familiar with your breasts and your vulva and your scrotum and then you're more likely to know when things don't necessarily feel or look normal and which can hint at possible health issues it's really just a great opportunity to know yourself even if it's not about pleasure or it's not goal oriented where the, it's always about orgasm. It's really just like getting better in touch with our bodies. And that has definitely helped me. Like I can say that from my heart, it has absolutely helped my sex life alone with partners, the way that I can talk about things and communicate how I feel and just feel good about doing it because I always thought this is wrong or why do I feel this way? And it's, it shouldn't be that way. No, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that as women and, you know, our vulvas are so complex and not only science, science doesn't really have that great of an idea of how we work. So I feel like us figuring out how our own vulvas work and what makes us aroused and what doesn't, I think is super important to like um, discuss with your partner if you are having partnered sex. But something I really like to make a point of is that I think that masturbation is the safest way to have sex, especially if you're young. Totally. Um, and I don't think that that's something that is encouraged at all in high schools. But I know that when I have a, a high school you know, son or daughter, I would definitely recommend to them to masturbate before they even think about having sex. And I think a lot of women, I, me personally, I, I didn't masturbate before I, I lost my virginity, mm -hmm. which I think was such a... Now that I look back, I'm like, oh, my God, like, of course it wasn't good. Like, you didn't know yeah. what the hell you were doing. Right. But but I think that a lot of young people aren't encouraged to masturbate because of that icky feeling that we've kind of ingrained in our society. Yeah, it's but, so bizarre. You, like you said in the beginning, you know, everyone has sex. That's, that's <laughs> Every person is on this earth because we've had sex. But we're not going to talk about masturbation, which is safe and, like, the, the easiest way to like learn your body and how to have sex and how to be safe and healthy. And as long as you're mindful of, you know, washing your hands and your toys and, you know, losing body, using body safe, lubricant, lotion, whatever, there are, you know, the risks involved that I, I hope we get to the point that we're able to discuss those things when we have conversations about masturbation, either with, you know, our children or in like more of an educational setting. But you're totally right in saying like, it just like doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't add up. It, you know, we know that um, even in utero, there's images of um, fetuses touching themselves and exploring themselves. 
And it's something really, really common in even young girls. It's not just young boys, but we just ignore it. And those messages that young people get um, when maybe they are caught, someone walks in the room. I don't even, I don't even like using that phrase, but someone walks in and they're doing, they have their hands on their pants or leaning against the side of their bed or being told, you know, oh my gosh, stop that. That's bad. That's dirty. I never want to see that again. Those messages really stick to us. And we only start to get, I don't even know if I call them positive. I keep thinking about like the jokes about boys masturbating that are in so many movies and TV shows. And Mm -hmm. I heard jokes and saw these innuendos about boys masturbating before I even knew what masturbating was. I don't know why that's a thing. Like that's probably kind of weird in itself that that's become like the butt of a lot of jokes or that's like a punchline. But what does that mean that we see those all the time? But as a woman, I only ever got these these negative comments or at least what I perceived as negative because it, I wasn't seeing that in, in these movies or when I'm seeing a, a TV show that is good enough to mention sexuality, it's still so focused on penetrative sex and it's so focused on the penis and it just so many mixed messages. No, for sure. And I even think like because of like the normalization of like masturbation jokes and in kind of like locker room talk or even just with men, I think that that also sets a tone for, okay, if I can joke about masturbation to like my dad, like if that's kind of the, the, the narrative Mm -hmm. that we've set up for, you know, young boys and men, then it becomes less gross essentially when they do it. They don't feel they don't feel gross. Mm-hmm. They just think that like, oh, this is funny. I, I it feels good. I can do it. But women, there is no joke about yeah, it. It's more just like a shame there. thing. So I feel like that's a hundred percent why a lot of women just don't even do it. Um, but why would you? tell young kids or not young kids but teenagers um or even we can even go as young as children why should we encourage everyone to masturbate yeah like I said I personally think masturbation is so empowering and it's helped me to communicate with partners and help me feel more comfortable talking about these things with my friends which then is just like a continued cycle of as long as we're bringing these things to light and having a space to talk about them, we can just feel more comfortable with ourselves in private. You know, no one should ever feel the pressure to masturbate because it's it's honestly not for everyone and that's totally okay. But the message that we do need to be getting out, um, even to to very young people, doesn't it's not explicitly about pleasuring yourself as in these are methods and this is what masturbation looks like, but they should know that wanting to and not wanting to are normal having these feelings are normal. In in general, we just need to cool it with the sexual pressure. And by kind of eliminating some of that, just giving young people the facts to have them make their own informed decisions and to lessen those guilty or shameful thoughts, to limit those weird Google searches, you know, like, am I okay for this? Is this normal that I did this? Like, almost always the answer is normal. It's, almost always yes that's totally okay someone else has done that of course you're thinking about that but if we're not talking about it 
it just becomes it just becomes a hush hush secret and it it just doesn't doesn't set us up for success in having a healthy sexual relationship with not just other people with but with ourselves yeah and i think also with the whole like hush hush method that we've seen kind of historically it's honestly got us into more trouble than not totally and we see in you know progressive countries or more progressive countries like you know Sweden the Mm -hmm. teen pregnancy rate is a lot lower than like in America so and those are very polar opposite countries but it's it's still we still kind of know that Mm -hmm. having a more open and encouraging conversation with sex in general is only going to benefit our youth than not absolutely so how do we start introducing this to teenagers? Like, what would you say is, is there a, a better method or would you say like just continuing an open conversation or even for teachers listening? How would you, because I know teenagers are a little problematic and, <laughs> you know, they, they, they're, you know, going through the hormones and they're slightly on. immature. Yeah. So there's a lot going on for them. So adding these conversations, I'm sure is daunting for most people. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's so fun. Like I feel, I I feel like a hypocrite sometimes when I talk about sex ed because I've been doing this work for so long and I don't want to talk about having these conversations. Like it's so easy. Like here, do this, this, and that. Talk about sex more. Talk to your kid that you guys can't even talk about like everyday things because they're a prepubescent teenager and you're all <laughs> angsty in the house. But um, I know it's not easy. I, I, I know it's not like it just doesn't feel like super normal for everybody because it's all ingrained in us. It all starts with the cycle, like, you know, your parents and those before you. And ideally though, it does start early in life. If in a perfect world, we could teach children about their bodies with the right name for their parts and how they work. And that builds on a foundation of ongoing age appropriate conversations around, you know, good touch and bad touch and what's safe to do. Um, what's okay to do in public and what is private. Those are conversations that you can definitely be having with a young child. Um, It's really important to have those conversations and it's healthy to set that standard of we can talk about this and also healthy because then you're setting your child up um, for, you know, better success in communicating if someone's making them uncomfortable or something is going on that they need to talk about. It doesn't even have to be sex. I think about, um, if children have uh, like maybe like a health issue going on um, in their vagina or their penis or something that they don't have the words to talk about, they can't talk to their parents about something hurting them or talk to their doctor about being in pain. So it's not always just about that. I mean, it is about including pleasure. I think that should be an important part. I think our sex education should be pleasure focused and pleasure inclusive, but um, that doesn't mean, and I think people get the misconception, we're, we're talking about like, I don't, I don't even know how to put it into words. I'm not explicitly telling, you know, a fifth grader to go buy a vibrator, but I can tell them <laughs> that it's normal for you to have certain feelings and that's just how your body works. And let me guide you in, um, letting you know, if you do start to explore yourself and things feel good, that's okay. Talk to me if you're having concerns about it. It's, it's building blocks. It's opening the conversation. It's, it's that communication and having that dialogue 
to make it not just a one-time conversation because we need to have sex education throughout the entire lifespan. So it's like not an easy answer, like a, like a one and done. It's, it's all these things that come together, but the foundation is setting the stage for that open communication and talking about things openly, really like Sally, uh, who was my supervisor um, for the certificate program I was in, we have her uh, phrase on the back of our t-shirts, talking about sex will change the world. Sounds silly, but it's so true. And it boils down to something like this. No, 100%. And I, I think it's super important to note that like, the building block method is definitely a lot better than uh, kind of the birds and the bees mm-hmm. talk that everyone gets um, like once and then it's done because, yeah, you know, s- sex kind of boils down to, you know, our whole system and our, our whole way of functioning as humans too. And as things change and as you grow up and even as a young girl, you know, you get your period and then you go through, you know, your early adolescence yeah. and your hormones Always are changing. changing. And then you, even older women who, you know, postpartum, they have to have sex again, and that's a different experience for them. And then after 50 and menopause, it's another different experience for them. And even for men, it changes too. Their libido goes down. Some men have erectile dysfunction when they're older. Like it changes. And it's something that I feel like wrongly us as a society have decided that it's going to be a one one and done talk because it's so uncomfortable for most people. But I I do think that as we're, you know, going through this like systematic change and trying to encourage these conversations at a younger age, we leave room for just open conversations so that people can come forward and, and feel safe talking about these, these subjects. And it doesn't even have to be about sex. It can be about pain. It can be about, you know, um, your internal health and your internal organs and people don't know enough. And so I think that I I do think that, you know, talking about sex ed changes the world. It changes the course of a person's life. I mean, like if you give someone the power to, you know, make their own decisions and have agency over their own body, you know, it can save them from a traumatic experience. You know, it, 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 can definitely change the course of their life. You, if you empower a young girl to, you know, actively seek out a birth control at a young age, that can definitely change the course of her life. And we, we really underestimate the value of that. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's, it's something that I, I feel very strongly about. And I, I really hope that the young people listening to this feel like they have agency over their body after, you know, gaining this information, because I definitely would have felt more empowered having this information five years ago. Um, But I definitely think it's something that, you know, we're trying to make that bridge and we're trying to get there. And it's, it's definitely going to take a long time. Um, But I, I do think that it's super important. I definitely think we're moving forward, even there's always setbacks. And it's not, it's going to be different for every person and then diff, ev- you know every different area across the globe but i'm happy that we have so many more resources even now than 20 years ago when i was a preteen and growing up and you know this is unheard of and i didn't even, i didn't have the internet i didn't have you know great resources that i could reach out to in the palm of my hand you know without having to search out these conversations in real life when a lot of people that that's not even possible. So we at least have that going for us. I mean, you guys are doing a great job with 
the podcast. We've got people out here that are so passionate, ready to talk about these things. And yeah, I think it's, it's a fight because the proponents of sex education, they're not seeing what you said, where, you know, it's, it's learning about your health as well. It's not, it's not just about pleasure. Inclusive sex ed isn't about orgasms and isn't about being gaudy and excessive with talking about, you know, talking about what we do sexually by ourselves or with someone else, but it's just understanding that it's not all bad. (laughs) And that's really a lot of the messages that we get. Like, yeah, we're doing it though. No, we're, we're definitely working hard. And I think honestly, one thing I've learned with all this is that regardless of what you do, there's always going to be someone who's critical. So might as well just do whatever makes you happy. There you go. <laughs> because it, it, you could be saving the world and someone's going to critique you. Mm-hmm. So I just yep. think that, Love that as long as this can help, you know, other people, and it also helps me, like I'm still learning and I'm still, you know, experimenting. I, I, I'm 20, right? So I, I have, you know, a whole life ahead of mm-hmm. me with, you know, sexual exploration. And I I don't think I'm ever going to stop learning. But before we continue, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor of the week. Intamo Pleasurables is a sexual self-care company that makes lubes, massage oils, period pain oils, and aphrodisiac diffuser blends. Locally made on Vancouver Island, their products are plant-based, free of glycogen and mineral oils. Their formulas aim to give back to your skin instead of taking away from it. Instead of using nasty chemicals, they use clean ingredients with a purpose, like organic hemp seed oil, vitamin E, hyaluronic acid, aloe vera, and avocado oil. They also take a portion of every sale to use it to facilitate free sex and pleasure education within their communities and online, because they recognize that there is a need for inclusive, accessible, and comprehensive sex education. Follow Intamil Pleasurables on Instagram to stay up to date with workshops, ask their sex educator any questions you'd like, and follow for some spicy content. They've also been so gracious to give us the promotion code of Let's Talk for 15% off your entire purchase at intamopleasurables.com. That's Let's Talk for 15% off your entire purchase at intamopleasurables.com. I do like to ask some of my guests um, some personal questions because everyone kind of has their own individual experience, and I think that's the beauty and in sexuality and sex and everyone has a very uh like personal stories so I I was wondering what you wish you learned about masturbation during your sex education I just wish that the things that I was thinking about and feeling even at a young age I wish that I knew that they were normal um it wasn't discussed like I said in my really brief fifth grade sex talk and not a part of my sex ed curriculum Um, and I guess it's good because it didn't really stop me. I mean, I have memories of touching myself and exploring what feels good, like from a very young age, maybe like, gosh, like maybe five or six years old. Um, and maybe at that point I didn't necessarily have that internalized shame, but it definitely came there eventually. And I really just wish I had someone to tell me that I don't need to be ashamed of that. And everyone just needs to hear like, you are normal, this is normal. And to not have had that, like, weighing in my mind that, you know, that stupid, like, is this dirty? Is this make me a bad person? Like, I really could have just would have been good to just do without that. (laughs) I, I definitely, I have the same kind of feeling, I feel like the norms that we kind of 
were exposed to at such a young age really affected um, our exploration, even in our like early, early teenage years or early adulthood. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that would have that I'm trying to phrase this like, do you think that that exposure would have benefited you in your early um, like sex life or early masturbation life? Yeah, I think in general, just that open dialogue regarding pleasure, it would have helped me be better at communicating not just the things that um, I wanted, but especially things that I did not want, um, consent or even just the autonomy over my body was never anything I even had any notion of. And so as I began exploring partnered sex in my late teens and into my early 20s, um, my own pleasure or my right to not just orgasm or be presently here because I want to be, but like to say, eh, that's not for me. Like that just like was not on the table. Yeah. And I think that definitely like going back to kind of the, the words and the dialogue that we have around sex and the act of penetration and kind of how like us as women, we kind of just take it. I think having pleasure sex education would have really changed that narrative and not just kind of I think a lot of young girls yeah exactly and I I think a lot of early sex experiences for young women is very just kind of like I'm here Mm -hmm. and that's it (laughs) and I definitely think that this conversation is really gonna explore the idea of you know your first sexual encounter or your first partner sex is should be a you know pleasurable experience for both people and mm-hmm. it, you know it may not be the most uh sexy or you glamorized. know glamorous but it, it can be good for both yeah yeah exactly so i i definitely think that pleasure sex education is something that we definitely need um for both you know both sexes but I always like to ask um what do you wish your younger self knew about masturbation or sex in general like if you could go back and tell 16 year old Jenny something what would you tell her yeah so besides that notion of just being normal and not being ashamed I really would love to sit down and have a chat about the concept of virginity and how the pressure that I felt from movies and even like music my friends my church everything it just put this unrealistic idea of that experience in my head both good and bad like totally both sides but I just want to sit down and say Jenny your value is not based on the first time you have sex and still to this day it's not based on your sexual experiences and who like I think that would have just like oh my gosh changed the game I I would love that would have been great I I definitely had a very serious uh similar experience to that because i i grew up catholic as i think you i don't know if you mentioned that you did as well i i Um, wasn't catholic but i was involved in the church and that was really influential in high school especially yeah and and those notions of like you know having sex when you're married and being pure until marriage and like there, there there really is whether it's direct or indirect um a narrative that definitely gets ingrained in I think young girls brains more than boys I I, I'd never I had a lot of guy friends growing up but I never heard them kind of share their worry about like who they were going to have sex with for the first time 
So I, I would definitely, I really like that advice because I think a lot of girls have this notion even now and even without church and, you know, they feel a lot of pressure, whether it's, you know, either from their partners or from this kind of locker room talk that we kind of hear, um, whether it's like even, you know, men or women, mm -hmm. some, there's a whole lot of pressure, especially for young girls in regards to their virginity. So I really think that I don't want to say devaluing it, but really just giving yourself agency over the decision you're making and not putting your whole value into Absolutely. one act, uh, I really think is super beneficial to tell young young boys and girls because yeah. we aren't our sexual experiences. They're a part of our lives, but we aren't them in its entirety. So I think that that's so important. But before we go, let's not forget to mention my plus one. My Plus One believes pleasure isn't a luxury, it's for everyone. And they're here to change the game with the first line of affordable, high-quality, sexual wellness devices that are easily available for purchase at mass retailers nationwide. Whether it's your first purchase or you're adding to your collection, help yourself to a different kind of self-care and get acquainted with My Plus One. The reason why I love My Plus One so much is because they're on a mission to empower women to own their sexual wellness by making affordable, accessible, and high-quality sexual wellness devices. People shouldn't have to venture to a special sex shop to purchase a vibrator. Everyone is focused on self-care and self-love now more than ever. Whether it's for pleasure or wellness, women deserve convenient access to high-quality, affordable sexual wellness devices like theirs so that they can own their sexuality. Make sure to check out your local Walmart Canada for product availability. Um, but yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and chatting with me about this. I think that this was such a great conversation to have. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and I, um, I, I, I wanted to ask if you, if you have any final thoughts or maybe where people can find you if they want to ask you any personal questions. Sure. So um, I am on Instagram at sexpositivesexed. Um, and I would love to shout out some good resources that have kind of been like ruminating in my head while we're having this conversation. Um, yes, phenomenal. Please do. I really benefited from at a young age, um, scarletine.com. That's where I started to get those answers to am I normal? Is this okay? And really got to explore. Um, I think for parents as well, checking out um, advocates for youth, sex positive families. Um, you mentioned before talking to parents or teenagers, something I would recommend. I have a friend, Wendy Sellers, who has done really great work developing the curriculum, Puberty, The Wonder Years, um, that's an online resource. Um, great, uh, great places to start when you have these conversations um, and questions not just for young people, but for parents who want to be that good parent, quote unquote, or they want to do the right thing and be sex positive and have these good conversations. There are a lot of really good resources out there and to definitely like take advantage of those because it's awesome that we have them now and things we definitely didn't have like 25 years ago. So yeah, I, I recommend knowledge is power and getting the information from the right sources and being able to make our own informed decisions, not just based on these like really negative messages that are definitely overwhelming. No, thank you so much for those resources. We'll definitely um, attach them on our Instagram post uh, below so that there are easy hyperlinks for people to go find these um, 
educational sources, not only for young people, but also for parents, because I think that parents have just as much of an influence, if not more than the teachers do. So um, I really appreciate that. Um, So I just wanted to say thank you again, Jenny, for coming on the podcast. And just to remind everyone that the podcast is released every Monday. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify uh, for new episodes weekly. I'd just like to thank everyone for listening and have a great day.